Testing one, two, three, one, two, three, testing. I'm Ben McAdams, and I represent Utah's 4th Congressional District. Before I was elected last November, I was the mayor of Salt Lake County. It's my belief that Washington might work better if we thought about governing the country the way mayors approach leading their communities. In this podcast, I'm hoping to show you what being a member of Congress is really like, and whether it's possible to run this country the way we run our local governments. Welcome to Washington. In this episode, we bring you the second part of Washington's special live event. This episode was hosted by Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics at the University of Utah, and it was recorded in front of a live studio audience at KSL Broadcast House in downtown Salt Lake City. Congressman, good to be with you here, and I appreciate the chance to have a, a dialogue. I want to get into a couple of issues that are really on the minds of a lot of people in the state of Utah or hearing in Washington, D.C. Before we get to that, I'd like to get some kind of insight as to why you're, you're spending some time doing this podcast. It's taking a lot of time. It's very important. Give us the reason why you're doing it, what you hope to accomplish. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, for, first of all, it, it, we try to just work it into my daily schedule. So as I have people coming through, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll meet on something and I'll say, hey, could you have another 10 minutes and we pull this out and do a recording? So mm-hmm. it doesn't take a lot of time, but I think that's actually the value of it is I want people to see um, what it's like, the behind the scenes, the, the real you know, real business of of being in Congress and and pull back the curtains a little bit so people Mm -hmm. can see it. So it's not highly scripted. It's more, um, you know, on on the spot, what are we doing? Um, One of the things for me, you know, that I'm trying to figure out is in this world of social media and where so much of, you know, it's such an incredible tool that you can Mm -hmm. reach out to your constituents in, in a way that's never been achievable before. But on the flip side, it is also in some ways makes the dialogue so much more shallow. So you're so much more broad in who you can reach, but so much more shallow in what you can say. And I think, I think that's a powerful tool. I think it can also be abused, as you're seeing. It's easy to spread false information. It's, um, you know, I see so many people who just see a headline or a hashtag, and they make a conclusion. You know, I see more pe- people who will spend more time commenting on an article than reading the article. You know, and, and I'm used to criticism, um, so it doesn't bother me. But, you know, it, it does frustrate me when I'm being criticized for something or people are saying, well, did you even think about this? And I know that the answer to their question is in paragraph two of the article that they yeah. didn't read, you know. And so I think for me, this podcast is a chance to um, get deeper into the, you know, uh, into the topics to give people more than just a soundbite. And, and I realize not everybody has the time or interest to do that, but to get a little bit deeper. One of the questions that I get asked a lot is people ask philosophically, is my job to vote my conscience or to vote mm. for my district? And that's kind of an existential political question, you know? Ideally, I'm both, both, both voting my conscience and my district, right? And I think most cases it's that. But if there's a conflict, if I think... You know, if I feel strongly about one thing and public opinion is going in a different direction, what do you do? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, I think I do reflect the district. But, you know, the example I gave is, say, you know, what if my district supported the separation of families policy at the border? They don't. But there are certain things that I won't compromise on. I don't support that. And, and I'm going to do stand for what I believe in, even if it costs me my next election. Mm-hmm. But I think... I think it's not as simple as that, and, and it's part of why I do this podcast. So the answer that I've settled on is 
um, representing a district is kind of like a relationship. If somebody says, do you do what you want to do or do you do what your spouse wants you to do? Well, I, I think if, if that's the nature of your relationship, you've got a pretty shallow relationship. It's more, my wife and I, we talk about things and we come to usually mutual decisions. And it's not just, here's what she wants, here's what I want, and which are we gonna, who's going to win? It's, we talk about it and we ultimately come uh, to a place where we move forward together. And I think that's maybe an analogy for represent, good representation in Congress. I'm going to have a dialogue yeah. with my constituents through the news media, through town hall meetings and through a podcast where I'm explaining to them why I'm thinking a certain way, why I'm leaning or going in a certain direction, and I get feedback from them, and we have what I think is not just a cheap relationship about hashtags and tweets, but about we develop a relationship where they know me, they understand me, they give feedback to me, and and I represent them. I think representative is not just a job title, it's a job description. And so that's what the podcast is for me, is a chance to reach out and, and, and deepen and develop that relationship mm-hmm. with my constituents. Hmm. Kind of maybe wondering, as you're giving that, that, that good example there about the word winning that you used, I mean, what does that even mean now in politics? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, like I, I was saying previously, is uh, for too many people, I think winning is defined as you losing. Mm-hmm. And um, I think winning is defined as creating new opportunities for my constituents and improving their quality of life. Okay, can I jump into some tough stuff? On, yeah. I don't know if there's any winning in this one. The yeah. Mueller report. Yeah. I know you stayed up all night long. 400, yeah. I don't know how many pages did you read all of that? I'm actually about halfway <laughs> through it, so I'm, I am reading it, but most of my reading I do on a flight, and I've been in Utah now for 10 days, so I haven't had that four hours to sit on an airplane flying to Washington. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to finish, knock it out this week. Okay, so uh, uh, the parts you've been through, and we've talked yeah. about a lot of the, the more interesting. I've read a lot of the news coverage too, so I'm, yeah. Yes, we'll let yeah. some. Anyway, it's interesting yeah. reading some of yes, the, it is. Uh, the parts. I'm more curious about the parts that you couldn't read. Yeah. Maybe you'll tell us about that. Yeah. So when you, the, as you started reading about that in the news articles, what's your first reaction to it? You know, I think, um, I think it's really disturbing uh, and troubling. The, um, the level of dishonesty, uh, I would say corruption, mm-hmm. in this White House. Um, you have a president and his team who, um, you know, Attorney General Barr concluded that there was no criminal conspiracy. So take that at at face value. Um, What is not disputed is that the president um, invited, welcomed, and was grateful for the involvement of a foreign power in our election. And um, that's troubling to me. And, you know, my primary focus coming out of the Mueller report, there's a lot of questions that that are raised that I think need answers. But the most urgent priority for me is what are we going to do to ensure that our elections, that Americans are deciding who they want to represent them. That may be Trump, it may be somebody else, but the American people are choosing their leaders, not Russia, not any other foreign power that sees how easy it is to uh, manipulate and meddle in an election. What, what are we doing as a country? What is this president doing to uh, ensure the integrity of the 2020 election. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious about that point too, because you get into the you know the part whether or not there was collusion, mm-hmm. which is not the same as obstruction. I want to get into those pieces right. a little bit too, but not a lot of people are talking. They're talking about those points, uh, but they're not really getting into the Russia aspect so much. Yeah. I and mean, we're talking about what Trump did or didn't do. Yeah. But we're not really getting into that, that key issue right there. There was a foreign power trying to influence our election. Yeah. So my, I'm curious, what do you think Congress? can do to make us safer in that regard from interference? 
You know, I think that's hard. I think as Congress, we will look at that. But, you know, I was in the executive branch as mayor. Now, Salt Lake County is very different from the entirety of the United States of America. But there are powers of the executive branch that, you know, um, the president has a justice department and a central intelligence agency. And this is what what happened in the 2016 election constitutes an attack on American democracy. Mm -hmm. And it really, Congress sets policies and Congress budgets, but Congress is not apt and really structured to take action to do. That's, you know, the executive branch executes on those policies. And, and we need an executive branch, a Justice Department, an FBI, a CIA, uh, that will step forward and, and do everything they can to ensure the integrity of the next election. And the American people need to know that no matter who's elected, that that person was the choice of the American people. Okay, well, what are you hearing in D.C.? I mean, what, how are these agencies... Kind of using this report to make it safer, or I mean, that's what? the question. That's the question I want to go back. I, I'm sure that you know Democrats are gonna. What I what I don't want to see is that either side makes it partisan and tries to litigate the next election yeah. through this. There are important questions that need to be answered, and um, and there are hearings that need to be conducted. Let's do it in a bipartisan fashion for the good of this country. But um, I think that's the question: is what what are we going to do to yeah. ensure the integrity of the next election? And um, that needs to be the primary focus, is, is going forward. There, historians for decades will, will look at what happened in 2016. We only have uh, a year and a half to, to impact what happens in 2020. Well, let's talk about that year and a half, right? Because this, the, the, the dividing lines are pretty clear. You've got a lot of people jumping in on the side of the Democrats to maybe run, to run for that office. And I'm, I'm just I'm kind of curious to see where, where that is going, right? What is the strategy? I don't know, you have to give yours or maybe it's happening. I'm not running if that's, I, I, yeah, so, okay. <laughs> okay, you're putting yeah. that to bed right yeah, now. You're not that running to bed for president? Right now. Yeah, okay, we'll keep you, in this, okay. <laughs> keep you in this role for right now. But what is the strategy for Democrats then, all right? You've got a year and a half. What's, what's the big strategy, maybe not yours or what you're hearing, to use this report to make sure there, there's a change in the White House? Um, well, I think um, based on my... You know, this, my experience talking to my voters, yeah. um, I think my voters are fairly reflective of, of the broader American public. My, you know, my voters aren't the Bronx, and they're not, but I think they're pretty typical Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, they are not asking about Mueller. Some are, you know, and, and every time I say that, I get 15 tweets from people who say, I want to know, what are you, are you going to impeach, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I think most people are bringing up health care. Uh, they're bringing up prescription drug prices. They're talking about transportation. Um, and um, I think what the Democrats can do if they want to um, have you know, good election results in 2020 is um, focus on the issues that are important to the American people, which uh, you know, not to, I don't want to minimize what's happened. I think it is very serious, and, and I don't want to trivialize what's happened. But um, well, what are we going to do? To, what solutions are we providing to the rising cost of health care? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because this is something even Bernie Sanders has brought up just this last week, right? So we can talk about Mueller all day long and President Trump, but then we're not talking about the, these, these key issues. I mean, you mentioned health care just briefly. I mean, a lot of Democrats got into office during this last election on this very issue. Yeah. So how do you do it? How do you start getting to issue or ed, you know, of, of education or health care, you know, some of these transportation issues, when everyone in D.C. seems to be talking about this political play they have on the report? Well, I mean, there are people, you know, loud voices in Washington who are going to continue to talk about this. Um, you know, what I can do, I can only control so much. I'm one of 435. I'm going to use my time and energy 
um, to focus on issues that, that are within my sphere that I can, mm -hmm. you know, problem solving and, and pragmatically trying to just move forward and, and yeah. solve problems for our country. I'll tell you an issue that right now that worries me, yeah. and it is on nobody's radar screen but me and my district, and that yeah. is a fire that we had, the Pole Creek Fire last wow. summer, burned a lot of trees, and now we have snow that's about to start runoff, and with, without the, the trees and the foliage there to um, hold this runoff, uh, we're worried about mudslides and flooding. And Congress has appropriated $350,000 to do some mitigation to maybe protect this in the event of a runoff. We passed the bill out of the House. It's now sitting in the Senate because they can't agree. And so, uh, um, look, Mueller, I don't want to trivialize it, but there are my constituents, my residents, mm -hmm. who are worried about what's going to happen when the runoff comes. And uh, the, I think the you know, gridlock in the Senate is going to, I'm worried what happens with that and what happens to my constituents. And that, to those people, that means a lot more. And what happens to prevent that flooding here in a month or two, that means a lot more to them than what we're going to do with Mueller. Okay. Uh, but if I may, one yeah, tangent sure. of the okay. Mueller, though, because yeah. you, you talked about this impeachment idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there are, there are some in D.C., particularly uh, the Democrats, they're, yeah. uh, they're talking about this sort of in, in lower tones, right? This is not... Yeah not the rampant thing. Why is, why is that? Or what is the strategy on that that you're hearing? Is it worth pursuing? I, I'm not there on impeachment, honestly. And, I, and I, again, saying that, more tweets. Check out my Twitter feed. Uh, people, there are people who don't like that. Um, and there's a lot of reasons, I think. Uh, you know, I, I think we've got more questions to ask and, and, and answers to receive. So I don't think you take anything off the table until you've got answers to your questions. But um, first of all, you know... Um, the Constitution is, I think, intentionally ambiguous and leaves it to Congress mm -hmm. uh, to decide what to do in that case. And, um, you know, the, the behavior of this White House is troubling. And, you know, if you, if you put it on a, a Nixon scale, I think it's more than the Nixon mm -hmm. scale. It's, if you put it on a Clinton impeachment scale, I think we've passed that. But I don't think you can separate the decision from the times in which we live. And, uh, you know, I think it would be incredibly harmful to this country to remove a president, the, the best way to remove a president is an election. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something cathartic about an election. And um, there are a lot of people who support this president. And to remove him from office, I think they would feel cheated. Mm -hmm. And we're 18 months away from, from an election. I think there's some wisdom in letting the American people, uh, you know, leaving this question to the American people and letting them make a decision mm -hmm. of, um, you know, uh, of if, if this is the person you want to continue to lead our country. Mm -hmm. How are you walking that, that tightrope here in Utah? Because Utahns, turns out, are, are divided also, mm -hmm. almost yeah. evenly, right. in terms of the president. So uh, I, my, my guess is every day you get questions similar to what yeah. I just asked yeah. you about a couple of that. So five I'll, times a day. Yeah. At least five times yeah. a day. All right, yeah. I'm glad I could give you number okay. six. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, 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 what are you saying to them as you try to find your own path? Where It's not you trying to explain, defend, justify yeah. any of those things on either side necessarily, just charting your Utah course. Yeah, well, I think it's first and foremost important to, give, uh, to, to call it what it is. This is dishonesty and this is corruption that we're seeing. And to, let's not minimize it. Let's not skirt it. Let's not brush it off. It was, it's serious, serious lap, ethical lapses in the White House. Um, and it is doing harm to the presidency, it's doing harm to the Constitution, mm -hmm. and harm to this country. That, uh, for most people on my Twitter feed, that is um, enough of a reason to then move to impeachment. For me, I just think, uh, you know, I think 
he was a, the, for me, the bar of impeachment is a very, very high bar. You are overturning, now the Constitution provides for it, but you are overturning the outcome of a democratically elected president. Mm-hmm. And uh, you don't take that lightly. And um, people chose him. And their elections have consequences for good or bad. This person was elected, President Trump was elected by the American people pursuant to our processes. And, um, and it's a pretty high bar, I think, to overturn that, to, to disregard what the American people chose. Okay. Um, so, you know, again, like I said, there are questions that haven't been answered yet. We should look at those questions and, uh, and, and get answers to those. It, we shouldn't go in on a never-ending partisan, you know, uh, trolling expedition. Let's, but let's do a, uh, our constitutional responsibility of oversight mm-hmm. and getting answers to questions. But ultimately, I think um, where, I, where my, I am right now, and you know, st- still waiting for answers to some of these other questions, where I'm right now is um, American people made a decision. That decision needs to be respected. If they regret that decision, they can make it known in 2020. Mm-hmm. Very good. Let me talk about uh, an issue that's interesting. As, as we've talked on, an- on another one of your podcasts, which everyone should listen to, uh, about your, your ability to reach across the aisle. But I want to talk about something that you have taken up recently, which often has been sort of a Republican issue, a balanced budget yeah. amendment. All right, we've seen Warren Hatch, I think, talk about that for 42 yeah. years. All right, maybe yeah. <laughs> about that. So uh, this is something you've taken up. Explain yeah. why and what you think you're going to be able to do with that. Look, I think this is the time to talk about it. I, as mayor of Salt Lake County, I balance my budget every year. We maintained a AAA bond rating, bond rating better than the bond rating of the United States government, I would add. Um, but I think fiscal responsibility is important. The, the decisions, we had a, a theme that we talked about at Salt Lake County, we called it the future we choose. And recognizing the decisions you make today is choosing the future you will have down the road. And um, with fiscal irresponsibility, with escalating spending right now, we are, we are making choices today that are closing doors tomorrow. And, um, you know, those, we will be spending more in interest interest alone on the national debt by 2025 than we spend on national defense. So those choices are becoming increasingly more draconian. We are going to be choosing between national security and debt. We're going to be choosing between, we have right now spend more on interest on the debt than we invest in our kids. Mm -hmm. So we are spending more on the past than we're investing in the future. we're closing doors by acting in a fiscally irresponsible manner. So, you know, some of the criticisms of a balanced budget amendment, people say, well, Congress can balance the budget. You just need to make decisions. Um, In my experience, politicians are a little bit like water. They follow the course of least resistance. They flow downhill. And if you have the option of, um, you know, you're, you're facing tax increases or cuts, and they're both really hard and they're really painful, and they should be, um, and you have this third option of doing nothing, lowering taxes and increasing spending and passing it off to the next generation, that, they take that option. And Congress has taken that option for a long time. And um, that's, that has costs on the American people. And I think you need some backstop with real teeth that says we have to balance the budget. Um, you're going to have to make tough, I don't know what the tough choices are. That's going to be dependent on the Congress of the time and, and their relationship with their voters. You have to make a choice. You have to behave in a fiscally responsible manner. In, in our last minute or two, we talked about what you have done. What's go, what are you going to do next? All right, Give us a little, a little preview of what's to come uh, for your next time in office. For the next well, I'm going to continue to carry this flag of fiscal responsibility. I think it's at a time where neither party wants to talk about fiscal responsibility. I always say the, the party that cares about fiscal responsibility is the minority party. And then they become the majority and fiscal responsibility is no longer 
a priority. But we need people, Democrats, Republicans, majority, minority, talking about fiscal responsibility. This is a flag that I plan to carry um, throughout my entire time in Congress. It's, it's an uphill battle. You know, I'm, I'm going to work hard on this, but I don't predict that my constitutional amendment, Orrin Hatch tried for a long time. Mine's probably not going to pass in the next couple of years. It needs to be on the table. It needs to be part of the conversation. I'm going to continue to do that. Um, and, you know, and deepening this relationship that I have with my constituents as I, as I engage with them in town hall meetings and, and through the podcast and through social media. They, I, I kind of joke about the tweets that I receive. I welcome them. I, 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 I don't respond to every tweet because they're so voluminous, but I read a lot of them. Yeah. And, uh, and I welcome that input um, and Facebook and other social media and um, and, and you look, figuring out how I can best represent the state of Utah uh, and, and delivering on the promise that I made that I'm on Team Utah before any mm-hmm. party and reaching across the aisle to try and heal the divide in Washington. Very good. Thank you for your service and for the very interesting conversation. Thanks, Jason. I want to thank you for listening to Washington. What I'd really love to hear is from you. To follow this journey, subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, the KSL Radio app, and anywhere you find interesting podcasts. To be part of this experiment in making the world's most powerful city responsive to citizens, please email me at tips at loudmouthproject.com. We'd like to thank the village that made this podcast possible. Andrea Smartin, Josh Tilton, Cheryl Worsley, Allison Heron, Natalie Tippett, Jason Perry, and of course, Congressman Ben McAdams. We'd also like to thank all of our listeners who showed up at the live event to support us. We'll be having other live events for this podcast and some of our others. And if you'd like to keep track of those and be the first to be notified, please go to our website, loudmouthproject.com, and sign up for emails. Washington is a production of the Loudmouth Project.